0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, all you happy warriors. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, solemnly dedicate myself to revealing how the world works thank you for being part of the show and thank you as always for promoting the show welcome each and every one of you loyal listeners to the rabbi daniel Lappin show all you happy warriors you heroic men enduring the scorching days of summer and the frigid days of winter going to work early every morning regardless of the weather, taking care of business, and doing what your head tells you to do when your head tells you it must be done. You all who ignore your heart's desire to indulge your body's seductive whisper, instead, you boldly heed the clarion call of responsibility to those you are strong enough to support and brave enough to protect and care for, you're the army of the righteous. You are the noble knights defending the fortress of civilization against the hungry hordes of scheming and surging savages trying to invade and conquer what you and your fathers have built. These barbarians know that even after they destroy the civilization you built as they wretchedly crawl through its wrecked ruins, they will still live better than in anything they could ever have built themselves. Only you stand between the nightmare of socialistic slavery and the bright hope of tomorrow. And you beautiful and brave women resisting government's treacherous proposal to marry it rather than accepting a golden ring from one clear-eyed man dreaming of a shared tomorrow you gorgeously courageous women who smilingly and graciously carry the load of work marriage and family inspiring your man to greatness and nurturing your young ones to moral maturity as well as physical yes You men and women, you happy warriors who do all this and have done all this. Yes, you are the natural audience of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. You are the audience that I devotedly serve, recognizing that every day that I can bring you the helpful, life-affirming insights of ancient Jewish wisdom, well, that's another day of privilege for me. It's indeed my honor to serve you all and my delight to welcome you to another episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show today. Yes, that's right. This is the only show in the entire digital universe, the entire digital universe, that reveals how the world really works. Look, it's a sad fact. Truths are only verified by time. It's sad because of limited human lifespan. So intergenerational contact, parents to their children, grandparents to grandkids, it's essential. Children who are not introduced to the culture of their parents, families, and societies, well, they end up tragic orphans of time. Under these sad circumstances, each child becomes an adult excruciatingly isolated from everything that went before, disconnected from his history, disconnected from all real knowledge, disconnected from a timeless vision that has sustained his people for generations. Above all, disconnected from the slowly accumulated wisdom of the ages, That is the dangerous and tragic fate of a frighteningly large proportion of today's teenagers in many countries. Orphans of time. They become terrifyingly vulnerable to the lies, distortions, and propaganda promulgated by their elders for their own reasons. For instance, culturally connected young people who could add the life experiences of their grandparents to their own far shorter set of life knowledge well they'd never fall prey to the nonsensical notion that say skin color is your destiny that because your skin color is white or black or yellow or brown then therefore certain things are just going to happen to you and there's nothing you can do about it Or the equally puerile proposition that you can change your gender? Young people who get how the world really works would know that inequality with freedom is preferable to equality imposed by tyranny. And such people would burst out into hysterical laughter at any college professor who tried to teach them differently. Time does tell the truth. Imagine a self-anointed expert pointing to the waning moon in the nighttime sky, teaching that once the moon finally shrank to a tiny sliver of a crescent, it would vanish forever. For two weeks, his students might believe him, but no sooner than they'd get accustomed to the dark skies then the new moon would appear and grow to its full-size disc brilliance in a timeless, repetitive cycle of grow and shrink. Two weeks isn't that long to wait for a false theory to be debunked. But other equally spurious ideas can unfortunately take far longer to debunk, and if you have no veneration for knowledge of the past... You are condemned to make some of the most important decisions in your life on the basis of fake ideas and false assertions. For example, it was once believed that removing blood from a sick sick person cured him. They used leeches, sort of live, big slug-type creatures, and they performed a procedure called cupping, and all this was to remove blood from the sick person but it didn't last for long. With the passage of a little time, it became obvious that this medical strategy achieved nothing. It was once believed that uranium radiation was healthy, but again, within only one generation or even less, it became obvious that what was previously believed was just plain wrong. Passage of time really does help. The problem is that we have to live our lives in a time span that is often shorter than the time necessary to reveal many beliefs as false. For many years, American teachers insisted on teaching children to read by what they called the whole-language approach. Up until then, parents usually taught their kids to read phonetically. K-A-T spells CAT. Now, I'm somewhat prepared to struggle through the word catalog. The teaching establishment wanted to distinguish what it saw as its own high level of credentialed professional expertise from what parents had done for generations from time immemorial, namely taught their children to read. And even if an untrained uneducated, uncredentialed parent can teach their children to read, which they can, why do we need such highly paid teachers? Wait, highly paid teachers? Says who? Well, actually, the market. There is actually no shortage of people eager to become teachers. Right? And so that tells you. And so, In came the whole language reading, which didn't work. Anyone open to the wisdom of the ages would have known that it was a doomed experiment. And when, after some years had passed, they abandoned the whole language approach of early childhood education, everybody was relieved, except, of course, the children and their families, who were the casualties of that cruel and callous experiment i got to tell you, to this day, whenever I meet an adult with serious reading difficulties, a man or a woman who doesn't enjoy reading doesn't do any more of it than absolutely necessary. Someone who experienced challenges during his or her education, I sadly guess (laughs) you attended elementary school probably during that period when they were teaching whole whole language. So again, It was time passing that proved that the whole language approach to reading was a false and damaging way of trying to teach children to read. Unfortunately, it just took too much time to have been of any help to those whose entire lives were impacted by this needless and destructive change to how people had always learned to read and happily do again today. In almost every area, socialism, leftism, secular fundamentalism, progressivism, whatever identifies itself by ignoring, mocking, and ultimately rejecting all wisdom of the past, it is only in a left-wing environment that young, just by itself, is a positive adjective, as in here comes a new young face in the United States Congress. In cultures less enthralled by progressivism and by leftism and by socialism, leadership tends to come from elders. Even the word senator is related to the word senile and senicide, which means killing an old person. Also the very word senior. There was a perfectly sensible and normal preference for older leaders. They're more, gli- more likely to have gained some knowledge and some real-world experience. They're a little less likely to be susceptible to the foolishness that we see uh, practiced by young politicians. Actually, not, not always young politicians. Foolishness comes from politicians of every age. Maybe a little less ambition. Um, uh, older is better. Bottom line. The older you are, the more you've seen and the more wrong turns you've seen debunked. It is for this reason that the Bible in Leviticus chapter 19 verse 32 says, "You shall rise before the aged and show deference to the old. You shall fear your God; I am the Lord." What is that verse saying, right? Leviticus 19:32. You shall rise before the aged and show deference to the old. You shall fear your Lord, your God. I am the Lord. This verse is not claiming that older folks are brainier or that older folks never make mistakes or older older folks are smart and wise. Look, some are and some are not. No, it's just telling us that regardless of anything else, the older a person is, the more opportunity he's had to see folly get its due reward. The Bible accords an old person this honor and respect only because of the passage of time. It's really useful. We've all become so obsessed with young and pretty people, so intoxicated by the newest and latest technology that we utterly ignore some of the wisdom of the ages. Do you want to do something really interesting sometime? Here's an idea. Take your friend or take a spouse or take your children and go and find an old person to talk to. Now, initially, you may have to persuade them that you're really interested because they've had a few years already getting used to being made to feel useless. I think that you will unexpectedly enjoy a few of these kinds of encounters. Passage of time helps learn the truth and become wiser. Look, if you could live for a thousand years, (laughs) by the time you reached middle age, like 500 years old, you'd actually start becoming really wise. I'm telling you all this to try and convey to you the value of ancient Jewish wisdom. This is what it is ancient jewish wisdom is nothing but the gathered wisdom of ages now at this point i i want to make an important distinction that will help clarify this discussion the notion that my grandfather knows more about computer programming language than my grandson well that's ridiculous My grandson is an absolute whiz at coding. My grandfather wouldn't have a clue what his descendant is talking about. However, the notion that my grandson knows more about building a marriage or dealing with life's tribulations than my grandfather, well, that's equally ridiculous. There's two categories of information. A. There's information that is mostly physical uncovering the nature of the atom the core of the earth the makeup of wood plastic antibiotics more is uncovered and more is revealed in every generation the youngest know the most but there's a second category of information category b this information is mostly spiritual it has to do with human interactions in all its incomprehensible vastness and variety. It concerns the nature and need of our relationship with God. It has to do with spiritual awareness. It also includes the understanding of money, which is fundamentally spiritual, not physical. And this generally, each generation tends to know a little bit less about this kind of knowledge than the past, and the youngest know the least. That's how this works. And so the value of ancient Jewish wisdom is exactly this. It is a millennia-long experiment, a multi-millennia-long experiment of life meticulously recorded in all detail. To enable us to measure contemporary trends and fads against a reliable account of how the world really works. One that has been time-tested for veracity, time-tested for accuracy. Now, you know that I never ask you to take anything I tell you on face value, I never expect you to just believe on faith what I'm telling you. No, of course not. That's not how this works. I tell you about ancient Jewish wisdom, and what you should do is take it under advisement. You should think about it. You should remember it, and you should measure it over the weeks following the time you learned it. You should test it against things that you encounter, tested against your own life experiences, tested by discussions with other people, and only once you yourself see that, hey, yes, this is actually true, this really does shed a bright laser-like beacon of brilliant incandescence on how the world really works, well, then You can incorporate it into your toolbox of how you effect your life, design your life, and carry out your life, execute the principles of your life. That's how it works. Now, as a happy warrior, you don't need to confine yourself and restrict yourself only to these weekly podcasts, these weekly Rabbi Daniel Lappin shows. What happens if in the middle of the seven days that separates two shows you would like to explore a little bit more ancient jewish wisdom you would like to strengthen your commitment as a happy warrior and you would like to connect with other happy warriors well we want to make it possible for everybody to do that and that's why we have the basic happy warrior membership And this is something that uh, each and every one of you can do quite easily and um, and I I would encourage you I do encourage you very very strongly to uh, to participate and do that happy warrior basic yep do it and uh, become part of our larger community and that way you can find encouragement you can provide encouragement and you can gain access to penetrating insights of ancient Jewish wisdom that will help you in your role as a happy warrior and you may be struggling on one of your five F's. You know, is it uh, finances? Maybe it's faith. Um, How about friendships? Somebody wrote to me, it was a letter I got this week. A person said, you know, I don't understand the F of friendships. I just don't get it because I don't see what friends do for you. Okay, um, this is like really important. And, uh, and one of the things we point out in the uh, Happy Warriors uh, basic um, meetings is that uh, it's not just what, hap- what friends do for you, but much of the benefit comes from what you do for friends. And understanding the connection between friendship and finance and the connection between friendship and faith Even the connection between friendship and physical health, oh, yes. But one has to know about that because working on our five Fs, it's hard for me and it's hard for you. And we can all use the encouragement of companionship and community. So um, that would be the uh, We Happy Warriors basic membership. And, um and and here's the nice thing about it as well uh, we are uh, finding it worthwhile to be less and less dependent on Facebook and and YouTube and some of the others. yeah, we're there, but um, you don't know what the future is going to bring. we decided we'd rather have a community center online a virtual community atmosphere. Uh, where we'll be able to foster the connection and the cooperation in in a way that allows us to remain independent of whatever is going to happen with the uh, main platforms out there. So uh, the link is you just go to the website wehappywarriors.com, right? One big long word. We happywarriors.com and you look for happy warriors basic and you won't you won't have any trouble at all and it's something that uh it's worthwhile for for all of us the the more of us that are there the more effective a community we become so uh head over to wehappywarriors.com and uh join in participate and, uh, and so, this way, you will learn things. You will have um, aha moments. Do you know what an aha moment is? When you read something or watch something or you hear something, and it just grabs you, and you think to yourself, aha, now I understand. And there are lots of things like that. Uh, you know, when I speak about happiness being a moral obligation... For many people, that was just like a, a huge eye-opening moment, right, that it's, it's part in the same way that brushing your teeth is, is, uh, is, is an obligation and showering regularly is an obligation, so is being happy. Or how about when you learn for the first time that acting grateful makes you feel optimistic and hopeful? Wow. Who would have known? Who doesn't need to feel optimistic and hopeful? I mean, gosh, you know, every project you begin, and maybe you're looking for a job, maybe, maybe you're meeting a potential spouse, somebody who may become your life partner. You, you need optimism and you need hope. How do you do that? It's all very well, oh, I'm going to be up. No, it doesn't work like that. You actually have to nurture it by expressing well you know these right okay we've we've spoken about these things and there's more things like this on the happy warrior website or how about uh, if paradoxically the act of giving money away produces more money and you think of that can't possibly be you know if i give away money i have end up with less not more and then as a happy warrior you learn the mechanism how that pipeline works And why it is that that really does, it's an aha moment, aha. Now I get it. That is just how it works. And it's all very, very worthwhile doing. So um, one of the things that uh, is important to understand, because so much of our lives only makes sense to us when we understand that we are not just body, but we're body and soul hugely important not clearly understood and everything changes when you get that when you really do understand that we are as much soul as we are body and we are as much body as we are soul and you understand the interaction between these two parts of our beings you become much more effective i'm going to just give you one example right off the bat and again Uh, This is something that is hugely controversial. I'm quite sure there are going to be many protests online. It's going to spread. People are going to say, oh, do you have any idea what he said on his podcast 25 minutes into the show? Do you know what he said? And, you know, people are going to say, no. no, what did he say? Well, he actually said that a great deal. Of mental disease is simply the spiritual part of our beings calling out for help that's right that's exactly what it is and that as our culture began to reject the spiritual and to insist that everything is physical well how did they deal with mental unease, depression, sadness, stress, confusion, uncertainty. How how does Well, it's simple. Obviously, since we are only physical, we are part of the continuum of animals, and uh, there just is really no difference at all between an ape, you know, or an anteater, and a person. We just... The differences are just qualitative. A little more hair, a little less hair, and so on. And uh, that being the case, well then, obviously, there must be a way to solve mental problems in exactly the way we solve physical ones. With a tablet, with a bottle of medicine. That's right. And so this is today widely believed. But once a person understands that we are spiritual beings we're very different from cows and camels and cats and kangaroos we're a unique different creature touched by the finger of god that's right well obviously it now means that in when when we are unhappy in our hearts when we're unhappy in our souls we're unhappy in our mental state in our minds well the first place to go is not taking tablets or swallowing bottles of medicine but the first place is to take a good look at our spiritual reality and that's really it, it is how how these things really work the very fact that um, we have placebos, that placebos actually work. How weird is that? Right? Do you think that could work when you take your dog to the vet and uh, the vet says, well, I'm just going to give him a sugar tablet, but don't tell him, right, because he's got to believe that this is really going to fix him, and then the vet charges you $600 for the, for the pleasure? Uh, that doesn't work with animals. But it does work with human beings. There is a huge difference between the way people react to medication when it comes from a doctor that they trust as opposed to the way people react to medication when it comes from a doctor whom they don't. And so having confidence in your doctor is is something really, really important. But as we promote the idea of secularism, and we try and banish out of our beings the idea that we are spiritual beings, and we try and extirpate the sense of soul, well, then, not surprisingly, absolutely everything has an answer straight out of science. Now, the best scientists, scientists who have deep understanding, are the first to acknowledge the limitations of science. And so, obviously, there is an enormous difference between what a rabbi can tell me and what a scientist can tell me. And one of the last things you want to do is have a scientist or a technocrat run your life. You have to run your life. Now, you may ask a scientist or a technocrat to tell you something about the economy, something about uh, money market funds, uh, something about your uh, uh, joint in your elbow that is hurting. Of course, you will ask those things and many, many more like that. But the overall decision about your life has to be made by you taking into consideration the physical and the spiritual aspects. This is one of the reasons that in 2020, so much tragedy and pain was inflicted on the world by secular bureaucrats who were absolutely sure that science will provide the answer. Well, virtually every prediction about coronavirus from 2020 spring and summer has proven to be not true and not the case. But nonetheless, businesses were shattered, countries' economies were ruined, people's finances were destroyed. All of this because we must follow the science. What a sad, sick, destructive way of running a country or a society or a business or a family or a life that's not how it works at all we've got to be able to understand the spiritual as well um, somebody wrote to me this week also and said uh, um, I'm single and I want to be a happy warrior is it possible to be a happy warrior if you're single well of course it is my friend of course A happy warrior isn't somebody who's got his or her whole life together. None of us are there. A happy warrior is somebody who is going to throw himself joyfully into the struggle today to make sure that tomorrow is better than yesterday. And he's going to do that in the five F areas. He's going to do it in the area of finances. And he's going to do it in the area of family. And if you're not married, well, that's the place to begin, isn't it? And uh, I've got two letters. I've told you uh, about one of them, but I have another one as well, uh, where these are guys um, between the ages of 45 and 60, Um, some never been married, others been married and no longer married, widowed, divorced, and who feel that much of what I talk about is marriage for first-timer young people. And so, obviously, I want to stress that family as one of the five Fs is important for everybody at whatever stage of life you're in. Because the, again, something that the progressive secular left does not understand is that our deepest satisfactions and the warmest feelings that surge spontaneously from the depths of our soul, come about because of our close relationships, our nearby relationships, our small connections, our families, our friends, those people we do business with. And the progressive secular fundamentalist believes that the most important connections are with our vast identity groups. Are you a woman? Well, don't worry about your husband, don't worry about your children, don't worry about your parents or your siblings, because you have to connect and ally with all the women of your country, and you've got to stand up for women, and you've got to fight for women's rights. Okay, any sane, normal woman realizes that her life is impacted and improved and enriched far more by her family and by her friends, and yes, even by the people she works with, than it is by the international sisterhood of women. I mean, that's something anybody can understand. Imagine people being misled into believing that somehow their most important alliances, their most vital community, is with people of the same skin color. Really? Come on! No. Our most important connections, the place from which we derive our deepest human satisfactions, the things that make us go to bed at night with a smile on our face, those are not the vast Collections of human beings unified by politics and unified by movement builders. No, it's because of the relationships you have with friends and the relationships you have with family members and the relationships you have with people you make money with and the relationships with which you have with God. That's it it's as simple as that those are the things that really matter the small connections the localized connections that's what really does matter and so you've got to got to be aware that each and every one of us is focused on our five f's that's what distinguishes us as happy warriors and uh, and by the way if you haven't yet understood how each of these five connect with all the others, then please make sure and download a free ebook that Mrs. Lappin and I have prepared for you called The Holistic You. And what this shows is just how friendships and family and finance and fitness and faith all interconnect with one another. There are lines joining them all and how success in one helps success in others lagging behind with one impacts you negatively in all the others so it's a free email download called the holistic you but then of course if you are already a happy warrior member then you know all about that and uh, and if you understand these things then you also understand some of the mistakes that are made, and you also understand some of the things that go on around you. For instance, let's just take something which uh, is a, a, a very real phenomenon, but if you're aware of it and you are warned of it and you watch it happening around you, well, then you know already how to deal with it. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the fact that if we go back shall we say about 100 years let's go back to 1920 now i'm going to speak about the united states of america because i'm most familiar with that on a regular basis but uh, we've got listeners right now listening to my voice at this very moment in about uh, how many pins in my map probably about 60 different countries and um, and it's going to be true for each and every one of you as well but in the united states in 1920 the population of the country was 106 million, I should say, approximately. Approximately 106 million. It's now 330 million, approximately. So it's about three times growth. We went from about 106 million to about 330 million in the 100 years from 1920 to 2020. So it might be interesting to see That the executive branch right the White House the president how many staff did the president need in order to operate the White House right because that administers the entire executive branch how does how many people well in 1920 uh, and I think the president was Warren Harding but I may be mistaken I think that's who it was In 1920, the White House had a staff of 93 personnel. That's less than 100 people ran the whole White House in 1920. Now, it's 2020, and the country... Well, it's 2021 that I'm speaking to you right now, but I'm looking at 2020. And uh, the country has grown by a factor of three. 106 million to 330 million. So you would have thought that... um, to administer the White House now would no longer be a 93 people, but it might be somewhere about 300 people. Well, you could say life's become complex, so maybe it should be about 400 people. All right, 500? How many staffers work for the president in the White House right at this present time? 5,690 So, in other words, the population of the country grew by a factor of three. We went from 100 million to 300 million. And the number of employees reporting to the president went up by a factor of 60. What's that about? Do you really think that there's 60 times more work? Well, let's test that. And, and here again, there's a lot of different places to go, but um, I just went to, to places that was easiest for me to lay my hands on, and uh, I looked at um, figures for the British Admiralty. This is the British, the office of the British government that runs the Royal Navy in England. And I've got figures for 1914 and 1928, now, I should point out that in between 1914 and 1928, there was something called the Washington Naval Agreement. That happened in 1922, and that limited the growth of the number of ships in the navies of the United States and the, uh, the Royal Navy. It was a very, very foolish time. People were silly. And they believed that a navy would never be needed again because people, nations, would just negotiate any differences they had. Well, tell that to China that is building a frighteningly effective and large navy so rapidly. Ships just sliding down the ways on a regular basis. But anyway, back to the early 20th century. In 1914, there were 62 ships. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about little boats, but like major ships, warships, battleships, um, uh, carriers, big stuff. The Royal Navy had 62 ships. By 1928, they had 20 ships. Right, so they had a third as many ships. What had happened to the number of officials? bureaucrats and clerks operating the the royal navy doubled from 1914 only 14 years later to 1928 the number of ships was down to a third of what it had been but the number of employees had doubled that's right that's what happens that's how it works and so it's, it's really helpful to try and understand what it is, that what is the mechanism, what is really going on here? Because physically, if you, if you insist on looking at the world only in physical terms, well, then it's not going to work because physically, if you reduce the amount of work, you should be able to reduce the amount of people. And physically, if you increase the amount of work, then you'd increase the number of people, but by some kind of a number that is a relationship of the amount of work that has gone up. So, what's really happening? And what's happening, of course, is something that I think you'd all intuitively understand, which is that bureaucracies take on their own lives. How does it happen? Um, well, Parkinson's law was something that um, a gentleman called C. Northcote Parkinson. He was a, a professor of history at the University of Singapore. And back soon after World War Two, he wrote up Parkinson's law, which was an attempt to try and explain why it is that bureaucracies grow and so he said let's imagine that there is one official okay and uh this this official is called let's call him a and um he is uh, an official in some organization any kind of organization And there is somebody else he uh, has equal status with who is uh, a guy call or a a woman, whatever it is, but a a person, let's call him B. And so A and B uh, operate in this organization and A wants to improve his status. So what he does is he goes to his boss and he shows that he can't keep up with his work. There's so much work to be done, he needs help. And so his boss suggests, all right, you may hire an assistant. But our friend, Mr. A, realizes that hiring an assistant is the last thing he wants to do. You know why? Because all he'll be doing is hiring somebody who could become a rival to him. And maybe down the road, the boss retires or moves up and is promoted And then when they look to see who to promote, well, maybe it won't be A, maybe it'll be his assistant. Maybe people will say, well, he's doing the job. So A realizes that what he has to do is he must hire not one assistant, but two assistants. And that way, the two of them are rivals for each other. And since the two of them are working at the same level, there is no confusion and when time for promotion comes about, it's clearly going to be Mr. A's promotion that happens. And this is just in, in shorthand that, um, uh, that, that things grow because work is a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. And work is not just to get money. There is a grandeur to our daily grind. And part of it is that we derive a sense of our own identity and importance and value from work. Yeah, that's right. God put Adam into the Garden of Eden to work the garden. In spite of the fact that in the Garden of Eden, everything, everything grew automatically. There was nothing to be done. It was only after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden that they realized they were going to have to work by the sweat of their brow, they're going to have to really struggle to get food. But why did God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work if everything happened automatically? And that was because although the garden did not need work, Adam needed to work the garden. And so fruit was going to grow anyway regardless. But Adam still made flower beds and he tilled the soil and he pruned the trees because every night when Adam closed his eyes to go to sleep, he had a smile on his face because he felt great that he had done a valuable job of work. And and by the way, I mean, I got to tell you that uh, if you or, or anybody in your orbit, a younger person maybe, or a a friend or relative, is contemplating university or college, I really would urge you to think very carefully about it, because the kind of work you're likely to get after getting a college degree is likely to be a lot less satisfying than the kind of work you can do without a college degree. I mean, I know people today who are earning six-figure salaries, never went to college. Six-figure salaries in the trades, building, construction, plumbing, electrical. Now, if your intention, let's say you have talent in the computer programming area, Or you have the ability to uh, become a a dentist or a doctor, which, again, if you think about it, is just another form of trade, right? We tend to always a doctor, but it's a trade. You're doing something with your hands. You're doing something practical. You're doing something real. And you are doing something that makes other people say, thank you. Yes, thank you. So um, I must say, I, 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 I'm very, very slow to recommend university or college with the debt and the distortion of truth that is injected into young minds. I, I think very, very seriously before encouraging college for uh, a young person today, Rap- you're wrapping up high school why would you go to community college a waste of time for what to get a degree in gender studies i mean that's the worst of the worst so i'm i'm depicting it in deliberately dastardly terms but uh you do get the idea i think and um it's it's worthwhile it's worthwhile knowing about it um satisfaction from work hugely important something really really valuable and uh, something that we uh, obtain by serving other people and that's really the the origin of money where does money come from money is a spiritual entity right you it might you might say well i've got discs of metal in my pocket or strips of colored paper in my wallet Uh, or maybe it's the way the iron oxide molecules on my hard drive lie but bottom line is it's all a system of trust and it's a system that depends on a lot of people sharing a common moral vision. When the moral vision of the large number of people who constituted an economic reality, when that begins to fade and begins to tarnish and begins to corrode, don't expect the money to, to hold up. And so to to recognize that uh, in many countries around the world, which I could name, but I'll, I'll just talk about the United States of America, the tremendous moral decline tells me without a doubt that we are right on the threshold, if not already deep within the, uh, uh, the, 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 the challenges of inflation, serious inflation. And so I don't care what official figures the United States government releases. But I know how much I paid for gasoline this week and how much I paid six months ago. And I know the size of containers of food at the market because I sometimes enjoy accompanying Mrs. Lappin to the grocery. I do. I just I like seeing all the large, the the abundance there, and the I just like it. So I don't have time to do often, but every now and then I do. But certainly enough to keep an eye not only on prices but on container size. And yes, I noticed how a bottle of orange juice went from 64 ounces to 45 ounces, and the price stayed the same. I, I got that, and so I don't need anybody to tell me that inflation is happening. And I actually don't even need those examples because I know that when the morality of a large group of people that constitute an economic community, when that morality declines, I know that it's only a short time before the value of the money begins to decline as well. Well, there's a whole lot more on this topic for us to discuss, but as you take care of your finances... You need to be aware that depending on where you live, it is possible that your money, your savings are losing value significantly every month. And therefore, you have to start thinking about alternative places to keep your money. Maybe in another currency, maybe in a, some kind of an investment, maybe in going into a, um, a real estate purchase together with a group of friends or family, uh, wh- wh- you, whatever it is, but you've got to think about it, because it's not possible for there to be a moral decline without an accompanying economic decline. And that's all part of the holistic you. That's all part of seeing how faith and family and friendship and finance and fitness all interlinked with one another. And so, good friends, the website, rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com, that's the way you can send me letters, tell me what you're thinking. And that's how you can look at some of the resources we've prepared. It's how you can search our database, our knowledge base of Ask the Rabbi questions and answers and Susan's provocative musings and the thought tools, all of that at com. So thanks for being part of the show and thanks for the great work you're doing in helping to promote the show. It means a lot to me. I love the feeling of a growing audience, a larger growing community, more and more happy warriors all serve to make our lives a little less lonely and a lot more productive. So until next week, I want to wish you a week of great growth, and enormous progress as you move onwards and upwards with your finances, with your friendships and your family, with your faith, and with your physical fitness. I'm Rabbi Daniel Appen. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on The Blaze Radio Network.